Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? Well, considering I've never been a huge fan of Louis C.K., Matthew Weiner, or Brett Ratner, things are going okay. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but if you're not a, if you are a fan of these men and their work, uh, not a great week. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing is I'm yeah. a big fan. It's a very complicated situation right now. <laughs> See, for me, I don't feel like it is because I'm a big fan of Louis C.K.'s work. Much of the work that I've seen of his that he has done, I actually am less fond of his stand-up than most yeah. people are like I've, I, I like I, the number of times I've tried to start a CK stand up like thing that everybody's been raving about and I start watching and I just go like I just I don't this isn't funny you're just yeah saying things that are uncomfortable and horrible and because of your affability it's supposed to be funny but it's it's not really that's how not... I feel about his show see <laughs> but for me the Louie was so much more than any of his stand up uh, so I, I think it's a terrific show, um, but I also have no trouble saying I think his show has some, been some of the was some of the best TV on while it was on. Yeah, and I'm not surprised that he's a scumbag. We've heard rumors for years, and right. I don't want to see more stuff from him. Yeah, this but, has been dating back to like '09 at the earliest in terms of being reported by Gawker. Yeah, this is not like this is not a new thing. This is not a but surprise. Tell that, tell that to FX, who, whose statement was just like, "We were unaware of these allegations." To which <laughs> everyone went, "Really, John? Really, John? Maybe these particular ones, but legally knew. speaking, we were <laughs> we technically unaware. We made sure we left the room as soon as any, <laughs> the topic approached this. Um, that's and for me, that's the difference. Is you know and. I, there, there was some, there was an interesting little thing that was making the rounds on Twitter. And I don't remember who was tweeting it. I, I apologize for that. But um, someone who was interviewing um, Aziz Ansari and uh-huh. talking about, you know, and different representations of, um, of, of women, what women deal with uh, harassment, street harassment and all these other, other things. And that's been part of his stand up and part of his show for the last several years. And then the person asks him and, and as Ansari talks about believing women and how it's like crazy, how men don't believe women. Um, and they just don't listen. And then the, the person asks him about, well, what do you think about these Louis CK allegations? And he just like shuts down, not talking about that. It's like, you, <laughs> okay, dude, like you literally, I don't think you get to do both. I don't think you yeah. get to like make, you know your cred some of your your cred as a um understanding feminist person on saying you need to believe women it's crazy people don't believe women and then when it gets too personal for you just shutting down the conversation yeah that's that's not great that isn't great at all (laughs) yeah like there i don't i don't think you need to be an asshole or tortured artist to make great art but i also think absolutely not that just because you do make great art, it doesn't mean you aren't an asshole and doesn't mean you yeah. aren't a terrible person. And so for me, the difference comes with 
Are there consequences for that? Does it seem like the person is facing those consequences and has accepted them and is like, and, and there, there's a different, there's different levels of severity of, of allegation and, and assault. And if someone, you know, like has no, been doing something for a long period of time or they cross a line and then they realize that and they fix it, they like try to do what they can to be better. But that's not the case with CK. This has been going right. back a very long time, and that's not the right. case with these other people. And so, to, to I don't know. For me, it doesn't hurt my brain. But then again, I don't personally associate with his characters that you know his yeah. very autobiographical characters in a way that I'm sure many um, of the 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 voices I'm seeing express such dismay toward yeah. CK do. Um, and so because of that, I'm not having that same level of experience where it feels like an, uh, an attack of myself or like the, right. like there's this over identification, you know? So like, I don't know what necessarily people are feeling about that, but for me, no, I'm not surprised. Yes. I still think that his show is, is great, but that doesn't mean that I think that he should be praised more or like get more money or like, I don't think those two are necessarily mutually exclusive. No. They're and not. I, uh, I applaud Netflix uh, canceling their their deal with him. They were going to do another spe uh, special stand up special, but they've pulled that. Um, I see here FX has cut ties with him, which will be very interesting to see what happens for better things. Because while that's Pamela Adlon's show, uh, he's he's, he's like a writer. Written, yeah, he's co written and directed a number of the episodes. So that'll so. be that'll affect a lot as compared to uh, Tignataro's One Mississippi, where she made a concerted effort to distance herself, like almost immediately. She's spoken yeah. out um, vociferously the last couple of days, um, and obviously, you know, in some of CK's actions heavily inspired a big part of the season two arc of that show. Um, and what do you, what do you, what do you think about the stuff with, with CK? I mean, apart from the FX's statement, um, I was worried that when they said yesterday that they were going to do an internal review, that this was going to take a while for them mm -hmm. until he, uh, came forward and said, Oh yeah, all of this is true. Never mind that a month ago. I just said that they were rumors. Don't mind me. <laughs> um, and that's kind of how I feel about it. It's just like, it, it goes to these things about these being very open secrets and everyone kind of going, well, but yeah. this comedy so progressive. And to, which is a point that like Mutaro um, made throughout one Mississippi and in the press run up to it. So, and a lot of it also just like, even though I haven't watched the show, I've read about the show enough to go, well, it just kind of sounds like he's talking about himself a lot mm -hmm. <laughs> and his own actions here. And as to the point where, like, retrospectively, like, some of these episodes weirdly become, like, um, way too autobiographical. <laughs> <laughs> well, or just, um, like, you know, the episode that people have been talking about is the one where he assaults the Pamela Adlin character, his character. Mm -hmm. I forget what her character's name is on the show, but... In, in there was a terrific, terrific piece by Todd Vanderwerf um, back at the AV Club when he was still there when that aired, writing about um, the use of physical force and like and how he connected very personally to one of his darkest memories of uh, like of something that that he did uh, to physically block a room when he was trying to have a confrontation with, with, with a significant other. And now how he looks back on that with like shame and regret and how this tapped into that. And, and it was, it was a really powerful piece. And so I, I do think that autobiographical 
art and autobiographical storytelling uh, can be really powerful. The question is then, is this commenting on something that you've learned from and moved right. and moved past? Or is this excusing behavior? And and I right. think that with CK's work, there is an interesting um, conversation to be had if you want to have it. And if you just want to say, F- him, then, you know, I'm never then that's totally cool. If you yeah. want to have it, there is I think you could have an interesting conversation about self-loathing and uh, awareness of wrong of misdoing and wrong deeds and whether CK is seeking validation or forgiveness in his work and whether that even matters if he doesn't stop doing what he's been doing. And it seems like that isn't behavior that has changed. Yeah. Yeah. No, it seems like borderline confessional at this point and Mm -hmm. a desire for absolution in some way of like presenting it as a piece of culture, as a piece of art, um, and holding himself up again for this idea of self-loathing, but also to like stir a conversation that has become like circles in a circular way about himself again. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so I think it's just interesting, um, and horrible, Yeah. but as someone who's just never really connected with his work in any way, shape or form, I just kind of go, well, all right. <laughs> yeah. The um the Weiner story was new to me. I had not heard I had not seen that blind item uh or yeah. those are that reporting back uh when uh Cater uh Catter Gordon um was fired from Mad Men after now we find out uh <laughs> refusing to sleep sleep with her. I guess this this was um st- stripped naked. Stripped naked, right. Her boss. Cause, and because she refused to do that, who knows what else he was intending to ask her to do. Right. Um, so, but am I shocked, shocked that the creator of, of, uh, of, uh, Don Draper has serious like issues around treatment of women? No, obviously they're not one for one. A perfectly feminist person can create a horrible misogynist character. Uh, I, but I'm not surprised when there you find someone whose art uh, is very focused on, like, and fascinated with a certain topic. It's unusual for that to not translate into something that is a topic of interest and consideration for the creator. It's a, it's a tricky line that's what they go like i wouldn't assume from watching mad men that matthew weiner has issues with women and with harassment and mis- and and you know and abuse but when you tell me that the creator of of don draper <laughs> has these issues i'm not surprised does that does that make sense it does make sense and yeah no it's it's not totally surprising either to me um i miss the blind item as well but i just it based again on like this art reflecting life, reflecting the creator sort of thing. It doesn't seem like too far of a stretch. Yeah. I would say like a non-abuse parallel would be when we were watching, I'm sorry. And by the end of the season, we're going somebody in that show really is obsessed with butts. Cause they yes. keep bringing yeah. up butt stuff. You know? And I, I think that in, I do think it's a, tr- a dangerous thing to open a Pandora's back to open where you, we're just assuming you can, read into art you know what the intentions of of the creator are what their predilections are etc um i do think though that it's the other the reverse is not problematic for me at all so i we will keep waiting to see what the next week brings but again 
just keep it rolling ladies and gentlemen on the hashtag me too train keep it coming um i had missed this brett radner story but ellen page talked about uh him outing her to a film crew which is horrible um right. anthony edwards and diana nyad and ali reisman have all talked about their stories of abuse and i again i just like all these people who've been coming forward it's it's so impressive and I, I, I was like, we were waiting for the Louis C.K. story to break, I think. I know I was. I was like, yeah. it's going to happen. You know, there are some other ones that we're kind of just waiting on. Uh, but that does not change the the how, how significant and how brave it is for these different people to come forward. Uh, we don't talk. I, I, we didn't haven't talked about this um, in our notes or but anything but obviously there's the allegations against Roy Moore which came out this week as well and certain figures in the Alabama political structure are saying that those uh, women who came forward should be prosecuted so like even something uh, as good old southern evangelism makes yeah, me so glad I left <laughs> just like even just something as straightforward as I was uh, molested as a child as a teenager in some places can perhaps bring the threat of prosecution. Um, so l- let alone the personal and psychological and, uh, and just emotional abuse you're doing to yourself sometimes to, to tear open those wounds again, yeah. um, which may be part of the healing process, but it still is incredibly hard to do. So yeah, we'll see what the next week brings. Um, but I certainly applaud everybody who's been, who's been coming forward. Um, yeah. Uh, and less heartbreaking and depressing news, though, we did get a, the, the new uh, Jane Glenn of Villanueva book up on Amazon. That's right. You can actually buy Snow Falling <laughs> with its cover. Uh, with, yeah. <laughs> now, I was not, I, I saw this and I was surprised and then immediately like, what's wrong with you, Kate? Why are you surprised? Of course, they're doing a tie in novel. Yeah, no, why wouldn't they? And I'm, like, half tempted to buy it. <laughs> yeah. We'll see if I actually do buy it. I'm, I may, like, see if my library gets it. <laughs> okay, well, if, if you read it, I expect yeah. a full book report, sir. Okay. Romance is not my genre, so I will, will not be reading it. But I, I am very curious who's who's ghostwritten it. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, if anybody, if any of our listenership reads it, do send your thoughts. Um, any other TV news you want to touch on, or shall we get into the week's TV? We should get into this week's TV, um, but first we should mention that we're what our special segment is this week. Yeah, at the end of the show, we're going to be talking about season one of Alias Grace, or I guess the miniseries. Alias Grace, it's yeah, it's done. There's not yeah. more, <laughs> uh, so that'll be coming at the end of the podcast. But before then, we're we're keeping it to fewer shows this week because we know we're going to talk about them for a while. Um, but uh, let's let's listen to a little. As you all know, we're going to listen to a little Crazy Ex Girlfriend, and we'll be back with our weekend comedy.
That was Josh Groban, who uh, <laughs> guested on Craziest Girlfriend this week. We will have more on that uh, at the end of our week in comedy. But first up, Noel's going to talk a bit about Mom, Fishtown, and Too Many Thank Yous. Then we'll both talk about Fresh Off the Boat, A League of Her Own, Jane the Virgin, Chapter 68. And we'll round things out, like I said, with Craziest Girlfriend. Josh's ex-girlfriend is crazy. Um, so first up, Fishtown and Too Many Thank Yous. I almost watched this, and then I mm-hmm. picked something else instead because it was a, a series premiere. And that was stupid because apparently this was a particularly good mom's. It was a solid mom episode. Um, uh, Bonnie's half brother, Ray, came back um, from uh, from rehab and was looking really good and then turned out to be like in deep denial, still using. And they find like uh, like three grams of cocaine and a massive bag of weed in his Mercedes that they're driving while he's out with Adam and so there's just a, a confrontation and an acknowledgement of how hard it is to stay sober, even when you look like you have your life together. And he does. He looks like he has his life together. I mean, he's still driving his Mercedes. He's waking up at 5 a.m. and doing yoga and going out for cycling. <laughs> I mean, he's saying that he's doing all these things, but he's clearly still using because, as Christy points out, you don't forget you have three grams of <laughs> blow in your car Unless you've smoked a big bag of weed. <laughs> and so whenever the show kind of like really directly deals with this kind of stuff, it's always really solid. And he ends up like sneaking out of the house in the morning and they know that there's only so much that they can do for him, but acknowledging the fact that he has to want to change. So I've really appreciated like when the show sort of steers into this, but they always like tread a really solid fine line between finding comedy and seriousness in these kind of stories. Or in the case of when they all got high on pot cookies, just going whole hog and being very, very funny about it while still having a little coda that plays up the seriousness of sobriety. Uh, so no, it was, it was, it was a solid episode, but this is at this point in their run, like old hat. This is something that they know how to do and can do whenever they feel like it. So it was a good episode. Um, but I just wanted to mention it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it seems to me like obviously they're in season five now and we've talked about how the show has like remade itself several times. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, pretty quickly it becomes clear that what really clicks is the show's discussions around uh, sobriety and and addiction and relationships, particularly mother-daughter relationships. And so I think there's actually, while, yes, maybe this is something they've done several times before and there's, uh, like, they know how to do this one, like, half asleep, this this kind yeah. of a storyline, half asleep. I do think that even... Like if if you're worried, you know, as a viewer, if you're worried about that getting repetitive, I think it's an important thing to keep doing and to keep bringing up because this is a you know addiction isn't something that just goes away. That you know, like where addiction isn't something where it's like, well, we've dealt with that before. We don't need to do that story because it's it's gonna keep recurring and that's much more honest. And I think the I think actually you I never would have guessed that, but maybe the sitcom format is the perfect way to take on addiction, like a more real world way to take on maybe not realizing you're addicted, maybe not hitting rock bottom, but the day to day of trying to stay sober. 
Right. And I mean, that's one of the things about it is just like uh, recovery and addiction is repetitive. I mean, you don't even need to like go past another television show like Elementary where an entire thing in season like four was about the repetitiveness and mundanity of trying to stay sober. And so I think and I think your point about the sitcom being a uh, genre and a format that lends itself to that is important is is a useful but b also just structurally it allows your characters to hang out together a lot mm-hmm. and talk in a way that feels a lot more motivated than we spend a lot of time at this coffee house <laughs> well which is why they're you know frankly that's why there have been so many sitcoms i mean i say so many a handful uh, over the last few years centered on self-help groups and support groups yeah. and also, frankly, that's what a show like Community is. That's what a show like these like group hangouts. Most yeah. of the time, they basically turn into group therapy sessions, and uh, with some hijinks thrown in. And so, so having that like codified and like specifically addressed on a show like Mom, I think, is just, just a natural uh, continuation of that format of the group who you know all keep hanging out because they need each other, <laughs> um, and and maybe their family doesn't quite get them for some reason. Well, like. Here's a very specific reason why. So yeah, it makes sense. I'll have to catch up with this one and, and let y'all know, um, you know, know what I think uh, if I have anything else to say. But I, it is on my list. No, like mom is on like the catch up with, like maybe not watch all the back, but like dive in with. It's on the list. Yeah, I think you can dive in and be fine. Yeah. Um, well, let's move on to our next episode, and that's fresh off the boat, a league of her own. And shout out to Brandy who wanted us to to mention it. Um, we talked earlier at the beginning of the season about how we were glad that the show had Nicole come out and added that element of her day-to-day existence to the show and to Eddie's awareness, the, the returns to the Saturn. <laughs> that was, that, that's been a, a nice fun thread. Um, but this was their big coming out episode for her. And how did it, how did it work for you? I, I thought it was, I thought it was fine. Um, I liked how it was couched in um, uh, something with the Wongs doing the softball uh, rivalry. Um, but I, I, I appreciated how it sort of played out from both Jessica being initially sort of confused and realizing suddenly that the denim turtle, <laughs> what kind of bar that was. And after it being can there for go seasons, th- that way too with women. Yeah. 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 But also like how it felt like a sort of, a a modern day version of a nineties coming out story in which, a off-the-hand comment forces someone into an uncomfortable position of having to come out. It comes out anyway. And then there's the... I understand that my comment was bad, and it doesn't reflect my values or how I feel about you. It's literally what he says. Yeah. And it's just like, wow, this is just like... This is a very, like, self... It felt aggressively self-aware, and I liked that. And the fact that they didn't lean into being sort of... Even though it's a sitcom in the 90s they didn't they avoided being a 90s sitcom in this moment okay well we need to talk about that because for me this just felt like a 90s sitcom okay. episode with a couple except exceptions i did uh, i did really appreciate the how broad everything was at the dead yeah. turtle the like c4 or d26 yeah. or whatever you know like and then and then going just all in on come to uh, come to my window and every like I, I love that. That was amazing. I do think that though, like and pairing it with the incredibly broad um, 
baseball. Well, I'm going to coach the team better than you kind of thing. Yeah. And I got old timey voice there because that's that's what it feels like. It's a very tri- like worn out kind of trend. At least, it, like you said, it is self-aware in that it's not a rivalry with the two of them. Jessica right. purely manufactures that. Yes, that helped. But for me, it was very like, OK, a very special episode. And now we'll see what they do next to maybe mm-hmm. counter that or, or to, to get, to have it not follow the nineties, but a very special episode trend of mention it once, never bringing it up as an issue again. Um, right. so, so, so talk to me more. How did it, uh, subvert or, uh, react to the nineties ness of it? Uh, like the TV nineties, I should say not set in the nineties. Yeah. Well, I never really felt like like Marvin's response once, he like circled back to Nicole felt particularly trite and it felt mm-hmm. like su- again super self-aware in like the language that he used okay as not a I accept you for what you are and this is something I need to work through which is to me where a lot of like the 90s thing would come from and then to your point would never be addressed again it would not be something that they would work through yeah um this was just a very like quick resolution in terms of acceptance and again like the language that he used about his personal values and how he feels about her Mm -hmm. um was again i think more reflective of being produced in today's period as opposed to being something from the 90s yeah that's true um but i do for me the the it's just so pat it's just so like every like it's the simplest possible wish fulfillment-y response that everybody everybody has right. you know and so that is i guess maybe it's it's wish fulfillment but it doesn't feel like i don't for a second believe that that is what his actual reaction would be at that with the, that guy in that time no i don't believe right. it and so like yeah. There's something to be said for that because, hey, this is like we're modeling what it should be. And this is a family show. We're showing kids who are watching. We're showing parents who are watching. This is how you be a good parent. This is how you could be a good human being. Um, And again, straight white girl, straight cis heterosexual white girl. But as I understand it, that's not the response most people have. So is it erasing experiences to be like see look everybody's great all the time or is it just is that outweighed by the positive representation and that's this is what it should be and let's make tv of how we should be not people at their worst well i mean that gets into a question about even like to the borderline of what is broadcasting for yeah uh this sort of prescriptive public service sort of um version of television um and this sort of cultural forwardness type mm-hmm. of television that arguably we we still we very much still need um so that degree of this is how it should be this is modeling type of behavior this is media effects sort of stuff um i'm okay with i think i'm okay with it too it's just i think my response is very colored by some of the conversations around uh, around sexual harassment and stuff that's happening right now. This idea that people are shocked when somebody who is nice and who seems like a good person and by all accounts ha- is a good person in other parts of their life is also horrible about an issue <laughs> or is horrible to women, um, but great to other women, you know? Um, it's not all necessarily all good and all bad. And just because someone is a 
a in other ways great and loving parent doesn't mean that they can't also have trouble you know like so so maybe i just i'm looking for other more nuanced representations out there and that's why we need more representation yeah and i i, I think that this isn't a show that necessarily leans in hard for nuance <laughs> no it um, does not it's not yeah, their thing. so that's that's sort of like the other like track i'm on is that i'm yeah. not expecting fresh off the boat to give me a great deal of nuance that's true but you know like i would expect blackish to give me nuance yes but I, yeah. maybe that's just the type of show that they, that they want to be yeah. so we'll see we'll see what happens uh as, as the rest of the season moves on and certainly with uh nicole being i didn't expect nicole to be out this this soon so uh, yeah. we'll see i will certainly be interested to see how that affects the rest of uh her arc and and you know, just for the season. Um, we should move on, though, to Jane the Virgin, chapter 68. And uh, I have to quote your notes here, Noel, which is, uh, I'm sticking around. <laughs> which I'm so is, upset. Which is basically how I feel. And yes, we get it to show you, you put a lampshade on it by saying, you can't expect someone to introduce a new love interest two-thirds of the way through the story and have still care about them. It's like, we get it. Yeah. But that doesn't change. But you're still making us do it. But you're still, <laughs> like, you still haven't earned Adam. They just keep. Yeah. And it, it's such a visceral thing. I'm sure there are lots of hashtag team Adam people out there. But I don't know. I just, I don't think, I just don't buy the chemistry. I think it just comes down to just, I don't buy the chemistry. Yeah. And I don't buy the chemistry either. It's really difficult. And it's also just, like, sort of difficult, like, the the mommy Jane and the fun Jane that they mm-hmm. did, um last week or the week before um where it was just like i'm not really buying this conflict a we've seen this conflict before but b the answer to this conflict is very easy <laughs> and that was kind of where i was coming from with it is just like i i i don't know like where jane's instincts are with this yeah and i'm trying to sort that out and i'm not i don't know that the show necessarily knows beyond the fact that they wanted to reestablish a quasi sort of romantic triangle again but couldn't figure out a way to do that without bringing back adam Mm -hmm. who owns her love cue and i mean all this stuff where it's just like show you're trying way too hard to put me on the board this ship i'm just gonna stay here on this dock and wait for the next one yeah well you know it it really does feel like um riley you know like this yeah yeah adam is 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 jane the virgin's riley and i I actually said that as someone who likes riley a lot more than other buffy viewers um Mm -hmm. and i actually think there's a lot i actually like riley more than adam (laughs) but um and i think that character's problems were in the structuring of not knowing what to do with him after they had him and we're not there yet with adam because he's earlier but um in his run on the show but uh yeah he certainly is being pitched as very long term. So yeah. I would be surprised if he was off the show by the end of the season based on how they're pitching it. What do you think? Fingers crossed he's gone by the end of the season, but I'm I, I don't feel optimistic about how quickly they can get back to what is clearly their end game of um Raph and um Jane. They're trying to tank that hard though because They are. They're they're really pressing it hard. Raph and is... I, I admire how hard they're trying to press it. Like they're just like, no, we're gonna we're gonna destroy all of this for you right now. And in basically in this episode too. <laughs> well and it's just, they're just Yeah, I just 
it's frustrating. It's like, why are you character assassinating? Like, what are yeah. you like? And they're and and they're again, they're lampshading it by calling him douche raff. But, you know, as compared to chill or Zen raff and you know, these different things. Yeah. But like, I don't know. I just I think they're trying too hard. Jane, I got to say, Jane, the version has slipped pretty far down on my list of shows of like how quickly I watch them. Like, I know mm-hmm. when I watch it, I'll enjoy it. But I don't need to watch it right away like I used to. And if I get a week behind, it's not the end of my TV viewing. Yeah, and I feel the same way. Um, It just worked out that this week I just had a Saturday or a Sunday and I just watched everything from Friday all in one go. But yeah, it's kind of slipped. So that's been frustrating it doesn't help that i'm not super connecting with the rohaley stuff either which i know a lot of people have been Uh, i've seen lots of like kind of stuff for for rohaleo and um um him naming him naming the kid baby michaelina but baby capital b because no no just no but Middle name Michaelina, Michaelina made me very happy. Yeah. Um, and it, it tugged at just the right heartstring for me. But then I just went, the rest of this didn't really work for me at all. Yeah. So, nah. I should like Justina Machado so much more than I do yeah. on this show. Like, they are not playing into her charisma at mm-hmm. all because she's in this villain role most of the time. And, yeah. like, you're just wasting such a gold mine right there. Oh man! Uh, any other elements of uh, Jane you want to check in on? Or okay, let's let's talk crazy ex girlfriend then, uh, Noel, because we have Josh's ex girlfriend is crazy, and this was their horror episode. I know a lot of people really loved it. I got to actually watch this one with friend of the show Allison Shoemaker over some rosé. It was lovely. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, but did you talk about how men are bad at the same time? <laughs> oh no, you didn't. We talked about how Hawaiian pizza is delicious. Uh, oh god why are you in the bad place uh <laughs> i'm in the the good pizza place because y'all are crazy pineapple is a perfectly legitimate to- pizza topping this is a conversation for another time let's cue into crazy girlfriend because while the second song the josh groban song this week um worked for me by the end of the song i didn't yeah. care for the first song and i didn't care for the beginning of the second song i will say i'm gonna name check allison's review over at the av club because she broke down the rhyme scheme of it and that mm-hmm. made me really appreciate the first half of the song much more the first stanza being or the first uh portion of the song being in perfect rhyme and the second like the rhyme scheme falling apart over the course of the second verse and like the so like the way that i'm a music geek uh allison was getting into the lyrics and the 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 syllables and like the number of syllables mm-hmm. and everything like that um it's like a book geek and so that's that made me appreciate it intellectually but for me this was a, again a really really funny episode. I like laughed so much. It was uh, like just devastating by the end. Um, shout out to those who saw what was coming with Greg's dad because I did not. Um, <sighs> but also one where and it, where I did not care for the songs again. And it's come on. <laughs> Yeah, I, I liked the Groban song, and I liked uh, I like I picked uh, I picked up on some some of the rhyming stuff, and then it going away a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, so I really appreciated that. Um, but mostly, I appreciated it for the fact that Groban is just game for anything. Yeah, and like just sells it. Well, so when was, he shows up physically, right. it's immediately much much better than when yes. it's just like voiceover when he's there yeah. and obviously having him come in partway through the song escalates it and that's part of it that's yeah. part of why it works but 
like having like the idea that she has imagined Josh Groban for herself in this moment. And this is how she's scoring like that. Just it makes it so much better. You also get his performance. He's quite a performer yeah. as well. And that that elevates yeah. it, too. But yeah, yeah I, it's very strange for me to not be digging while I respect and appreciate the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend songs to not actually be, be this, liking them, right. liking them. And these were not memorable to me. Yeah. I'm not. No. And I. I think not being memorable is accurate because um, it's it's going to be a struggle to remember them. Like we weren't totally sure what that Groban song was called. <laughs> um, so I, I think that's fair. Um, but I think like your point about like the rest of the episode being really funny sort of makes up for it. Like uh, Caitlin Thomas over at TV Guide sort of teased me about the Swim Chan thing. And I just went, they're not going to do a Swim Fan homage. No one remembers <laughs> Swim Fan. And then they're just like, no, we're going to we're going to do full Christensen. And it's just like, oh, my God, this is great. I never even saw Swim Fan, but this is amazing. I really appreciate this. Um, so all like the stalker horror elements, um, I really appreciated. I really enjoyed. I thought they were really funny and really well executed. But I also liked like even like the sh- the showdown at the fair, complete with a reprise of "I Give Good Parent" playing in carnival tune. Yeah, yeah, uh, made me very very happy. Um, and even to the point where she's just like, I would never actually hurt your mom is exactly what that character would say in literally any other version of this story. Mm -hmm. And so I really enjoyed how they played with all of these tropes. Um, And so it was, it was a really fun episode overall, even if I agree with you in that the songs were not the strongest parts. Yeah. But I mean, come on. She's wearing, she's got a Bush costume. She got the cactus costume and she's got the Bush. And when she like turns her head, (laughs) It's just like you left so much, so yeah. much. No. <laughs> well, um, the cactus yeah. costume was just a dream sequence. This was an actual bush costume she had. That's true. <laughs> That's true. And, and it doesn't like I can imagine her feverishly hot gluing. So, yeah, yeah, just, and enlisting her poor Dane. Yeah, <laughs> no uh, one I, likes jagged reindeer meat, Kate. No, no, no one does. I loved Paula's uh, reaction and every like the Valencia yeah. and and Heather too. I particularly loved Heather's uh, response, like, "Oh no, this is not going to do anything because you can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped." I'm just here to hang out, or just, I'm here to get my cardio. I don't remember what it was, but yeah. um, and and the idea of her and Hector maybe becoming a thing I think is super interesting if only because you know Heather would be good on a podcast yes she would be very good on a podcast yeah (laughs) I didn't think about that that is true (laughs) um any other thoughts on this episode uh yeah no nothing else on this episode uh so uh what won your week in tv and comedy Kate oh it's it's definitely crazy ex-girlfriend like yeah. I can complain about not being disappointed that I don't love the songs the way I did a couple weeks ago, but like mm-hmm. it was so funny. And like the the shout out to the cinematographer and the editing and the scoring was really good too. The use of silence was really specific and the the stylistic flourishes were great. The orchestration I was really appreciating when certain instruments came in versus other ones. Um yeah, it was. I, I I really enjoyed this episode of Crazy Ex Girlfriend, despite my quibbles, which I will always <laughs> mention because I'm me. How about you, Noel? 
Um, I really liked uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine's Bad Beat, which is an episode you got to see last week that mm-hmm. I did not get to see until this week. Um, it was a really good gambling episode, and I enjoyed all their hijinks, including also the sitting Olympics. Um, I really liked how they got Hitchcock and Scully roped into a narrative and then had Rosa involved as well. Yeah. Um, but I really didn't care about the food truck stuff, so... And that took up a, a weird amount of space, mm-hmm. so I'm also going to give it to Crazy Ex-Girlfriend this week. Okay. Um, just because it was really sharp. Yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, now we'll take a break, listen to some more music, and come back with a weekend drama and genre. We'll be right back after this. week in drama and genre we're going to talk briefly about the damnation series premiere sam riley's body then we'll move on to queen sugar copper sun uh the exorcist there but for the grace of god go eyes see what they did there Noel. i do okay i bolded it in our notes yeah <laughs> and then we'll round things out with supergirl damage as y'all knew we had to uh We'll have lots to say about Supergirl, I'm sure. But first up is Damnation, which was, this is a the pilot or series premiere. Um, where is this airing again? Is this USA? Yeah, this is on USA. Um, and it's it's something I mentioned last week, I think, um, mm-hmm. and that I was excited about. And then I watched the premiere and I'm a little significantly less excited. <laughs> <laughs> I got about 20 minutes in um, yeah. because I was like, I was, I was washing dishes uh mm-hmm. and and so i didn't stop it also usually i usually go all the way through a pilot but like i got yeah. distracted and didn't get back to it and i'm definitely not going back i just kept waiting for them to say what kind of a preacher are you like like just constantly constantly that is what this show is trying to get you to ask and i i just i don't care i westerns are like in my wheelhouse strongly in my wheelhouse but this is a show that is just so proud of itself it thinks it's so much more challenging than it is at least based on again the first 20 minutes which is not a fair segment to judge by and yet here i am um so noel (laughs) as someone who actually did watch the whole premiere uh any thoughts on that and why should or should not i go back and watch the rest well, you definitely don't need to go back and watch the rest because guess what? The two main leads are brothers. Spoiler alert. Oh, I'm shocked. Shocked. You're shocked. I, I bet you are. You um, mean the bad guy shocked. and the good guy, the cartoonishly evil and the, the cartoonishly hippie good, but like proactive good and, guy? But, with not, but willing to commit acts of violence. Yeah, because that's how yeah. radical he is. Just like Jesus was radical. Right. And we're no. saying this in the 30s. Okay. Yeah. But no, I mean, you're not far off at all. And there's also like just weird technical issues and that I have within which a lot of this show takes place in Iowa. 
I think, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then large chunks of it take place in Harlan County, Kentucky. And I kept getting confused about some of the characters popping up in Harlan from Iowa and going, yeah. that's not how travel worked in the 1930s, everyone. Like, this isn't Hannibal when you can magically teleport. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hannibal. Getting to Minneapolis by car in like a few hours. Um, yeah, and it, that would just make me want to watch Justified. Yeah, and that's what I said. I was just like, wow, we can have a Justified crossover set in the 1930s. I would be there for that. But... <laughs> The show itself is very aggressive about, like, um, Todd Vanderwerf over at Fox was like, dark men doing dark things. And that's what it is. And the setting kind of makes up for it. And then I don't know if you got far enough to meet um, uh, the blonde-haired woman who... Yeah, she had just shown up. Yeah, Just showed up, uh, who is delightful. She's really good, and I like her character a great deal. She works for a Pinkertons, but not... Um, organization but competent yes <laughs> but competent and um she's she's hunting down uh lorgan uh sorry killian scott's character um who's the preacher who yeah, killed her guy. husband yeah yeah the good guy um but yeah it's just it's very still in that cable prestige low winter sun kind of mockery perspective darkness at noon right this is yeah, darkness at noon very darkness at noon and so it's got some decent female characters. I like the woman who is paired with the preacher who is writing these tracks that are attracting religious attentions. Yes, she's the one writing them. Yeah, and... I, I, I'm rolling my eyes very heavily, guys, <laughs> yeah. uh, listeners, because if you haven't seen it, she's the preacher's wife, air quotes, who's introduced saying damn. Yeah. That's the kind of show this is. Yeah. And she's writing under a pen name of a man, so her stuff gets taken more seriously, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's there's interesting like little elements in here, but it just seems really there's an entire sequence in which Killian Scott's character um, just plays with a not Killian Scott's Logan Martian Green's character just plays with the corpse in a bar, yeah. And it's just like this is this isn't dark or edgy. This is just really weird, mm-hmm. and it just doesn't make any sense and it just sells him as deeply psychotic and it's just like i don't really care that he's deeply psychotic and he's illiterate i don't care so i may check out like another two episodes i think maybe just because i really like the setting and the idea of them being dealing with like the banks and industry but we'll see if they actually address that in any way shape or form that actually matters i'm guessing that they don't but we'll see yeah you are Farmer I'm very this alone one. on this branch, and I'm okay on that. <laughs> we'll see uh, if I even get through the second episode. <laughs> yes, yes, we will. Um, but let's move on to our next show, which is one that I think we actually both want to talk about and like, and that is Queen Sugar, Copper Sun. Now, this is the penultimate episode of the season. Uh, I've got to start with a big question mark. Do you think the show is intentionally having Ralph Angel be an idiot, or are we supposed to think that he's right when he says that Darla said that Blue was not his son. Because that's not what Darla said. That but is not what Darla said. Now, is this is is this him being Ralph Angel and just speaking his fears? Or is this the show speaking through him? You know what I mean? Because they yeah. make such a huge deal out of this. And if they have the rest of the... If it turns out that Blue is his kid, because that's what makes biologically the most sense... Um, then do we get to have the rest of the family like smacking him? And she's like, I never 
never said that. That's not what I, that's never what I said. And then they're like, what's you creating all this problem? Do the DNA test first. You know, like yeah. if we get to have that, then great. But if, if, if the show wants us to think that like, is it like that he's right and that he, that he's translating for Darla and that she just didn't have the heart to say what she really meant. Um, I'm going to be frustrated. So what, what do you think the show's doing here? I don't know, because I caught that as well, and it raised both of my eyebrows very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm willing to chalk a lot of it up to the fact that Ralph Angel is just aggressively emotionally immature and is reporting what he heard, which is, the ki- blue is not yours, mm-hmm. as opposed to, blue may not be yours. Yeah. And after... Uh, driving around and then getting drunk this is what his takeaway is is that this is not my kid and so him reporting it like that i think makes sense from a character perspective um whether or not the show is going to more fully address that remains to be seen because i still feel like this is a way to shuttle darla and blue away from the show and that, I feel like, is what they're setting up, even to the point where, like, Charlie fires Darla, like, very quickly, in a very Shakespearean, be gone, sort of, she says <laughs> be gone, yeah. and in a sort of way that it's just, it's it's very, it's very aggressive. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of it feels like, even if he's wrong, the show needs a way for them to wants a way for them to leave in case they need to leave i guess yeah that just seems really it doesn't make sense though because right no it'd be aggressively foolish i think because that corner of the show being ralph angel needs darla and blue Mm -hmm. and also that kid is getting of age where he can do really cute shit like (laughs) that entire sequence where he's asking for wings extra crispy and the rice mixed with the beans and it's just like this is very very good and adorable and i'm like sobbing laughing at the same time but please don't get rid of him (laughs) yeah well it just we'll see what they do and we could be wrong uh but especially with putting in the previously on the thing about Dollar's mom saying where is family too and and that that like that really feels like the show prepping for a season finale where she takes Blue away for a month or I don't know to go visit her family because she needs to have to be to to maintain her sobriety. She needs a support network and it, Ralph Angel can't be that. So she needs to, you know, like and he's never really been that anyway. Yeah. But <laughs> the idea the idea that she would take Blue with and that would be acceptable or that they would like. Charlie knows, and Nova, definitely, they know too much about the law for that to happen. Like, they raised this kid for seven years. Darla, the addict mother who's been sober for two and just barely got some visitation, can't just take the kid and go. If anything, it would take a while to get a DNA test to prove that Ralph Angel isn't a father. Like, so, like... You have to be willing to, if that's what they're trying to do, which they might not be doing, but if that's what they're trying to do, you need to, like, by the entire Bordelon family being very stupid about their rights, which they aren't. So, I don't know. It's just... Yeah, and then they provide, like, enough of a distraction insofar as uh, the Landry's, like, 
being the Agos and doing like rumoring really aggressively in a way that I just feel like I don't understand why everyone's buying into this. <laughs> um, it's yeah. just like this is this is a little this is it's feeling again like to the where like one of my criticisms of the reveal of blue's potential paternity being an issue like this is feeling contrived for the sake of drama to the point where i'm just like i don't i don't understand why you can't get anyone on the phone either ralph angel because they don't seem to be doing anything else (laughs) (laughs) well and because like everybody y'all were just there for the festival right you just saw the mill and everything was going great so like yeah the last day of harvest, like literally the last days of the harvest, that's who you're going to like, I don't know. It it, w- it does feel very controlled. I, I mean, for me, this is just them pushing Charlie to a point where she's going to do something extreme and stupid. And then that's going to be how we're going to she's going to like torch one of their buildings or something. And that's how we'll end the season. And but but yeah, that's that's frustrating for me. And I think a lot of it also boils down to the fact that the Landrys have been so sort of like they fade in and out so much a lot. And then to have this Landry come in and just be super f-ing creepy um, with the you intrigue me. And it's just like, whoa, dial it back a little. Both character and actor just dial it back just like a couple of notches. Um, but they just fade in and out. So where they him like the elder Landry, like scooping up the park, I get and buy. But like this organized rumor thing happening within the span of a couple of hours, including a story that's ready and out almost, I just go, this is happening way too fast to really work for me. Yeah. Well, and, and it's the kind of like, because it's been a really terrific season, but yeah. it's the kind of bobble we don't expect from queen sugar so yeah you know we'll see what happens with the fall i mean a lot of the times a weak setup can be saved by a really terrific right. payoff so we'll yeah. see what comes with the finale but certainly it's these last couple of episodes have left me with a bigger question mark next to than i would have expected from the rest of the season yeah, and I'm that I'm in that same camp as like I was not expecting to be in a position where I'm just like ha- feeling like I'm second guessing the show, mm-hmm. uh, in a, especially in a case of a show that I have never second guessed or even felt like coming close to second guessing. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So we'll see what the finale brings next week. But next up is The Exorcist, and I'm so glad it is already back. Uh, there, but for the grace of God, go I. And, like, for whatever reason, because I think with The Good Place being off for the year, I was just expecting Exorcist was going to be off for, like, months. Not just a couple right. weeks. Um, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, baseball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what did you think of our big John Cho, sorry, Andy John Cho, realizes John Cho. That, that, that Grace is fake? Uh, I really liked it. Um, like sort of what we had discussed uh, before they took their break. I liked the idea of Andy being the one that's sort of possessed in a manner of speaking, mm-hmm. and under the under the houses in under like the demon spirit influence. Yeah. Um, and I liked how all of that was playing out, and I liked how it recurred in a number of ways for him. Him being in a weird sense of like angry denial about. Um, Verity being in the studio slash Grace's room mm-hmm. um, to um, not Grace. Um, yeah, Grace. And to or the um, the weird stuff with the wound mm-hmm. and 
bees crawling out of him. That was him. super gross. That was not okay. And so I really appreciated how all this was playing out and him thinking that by going and camping, they get away from it. Yeah. And it's so cute. Yeah. Um, and that not working. So I really enjoyed that. But I like the escalation of the spirit reforming as Nikki slash Alicia Witt. Mm-hmm. Yay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, cause I, I love Alicia Witt. Um, yeah. so that was very, but I like to have that reveal of like the grace growing over the ruined portrait Yeah, and then pulling off the bag and revealing Alicia Witt. And I just went, yeah. oh, this is very good. I'm very excited about this. Um, so how did you feel about it? No, I thought it was, I thought it was another really strong episode. Um, I'm not super compelled by, uh, stuff that we're getting with young priest, um oh tomas right, tomas yeah. yeah but i did love everything we got with keen again mm-hmm. uh, and i thought that that lovely little yeah i guess date that <laughs> we saw yeah. was was <laughs> i kept i kept waiting for like the fish and wildlife guy to basically be an angel mm-hmm. like this show's ver- version of an angel or something like just like i wouldn't be surprised with what we've seen so far if that's like something they choose to do yeah because that that's that's the level of low-key angel i feel like they do on this show just like somebody just getting them bumping it back right on the path that he needs and then piecing out and um the character never knows that that's who it was you know like that's that would fit with their mythology um but i i also just really was enjoying their talk of basically their PTSD and Keen being super, yes, it was it was pretty heightened, as a little yeah. over the top, but I think that's fitting for this show and certainly for Ben Daniels' performance as as Marcus. So, um, yeah, that part of it was really working. I'm also very excited about Alicia Witt. Um, I also like the way that they are kind of nudging Rose towards asking the priests for help. <laughs> you know, the way that they, like the stuff with Tomas isn't really working for me, but the stuff where like we're watching her get to a point of realizing how much like like, yes, she's already noticed things are weird and something's wrong. And what will it take for her to call the priests, I think, is an interesting point of tension. Um, so I look forward to to seeing what's coming next with that. Uh, any other thoughts on Exorcist? Like, the, oh, God, those creepy, like, because every now and again, you'll see, like, an ad, ads will pop up on certain sites. And that thing of, like, the holes in a person like that, I've seen yeah. pictures of that. And, like, people trying to get you to the clickbait and I'm always like... Add blocker on. <laughs> but that, that yeah, was no, super duper a, creepy. Yeah, no, like American Horror Story was using that really effectively mm-hmm. this year in Cult, at least that that one episode I watched. Um, that Fear of Holes, I forget the proper name for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's been a thing that's like trending up, at least within horror stuff recently. I think just because of like the organicness of it is like really weird. Well, it's not Fear of Holes, it's Fear of Holes in a person. In a person. It's very different than the generic fear of holes. No, I I think it's like modeled in a way that's supposed to like trigger that sort of a response that because that fear of holes is very generally dealt with in like a cluster sense like it's represented here. Mm -hmm. So it's supposed to be triggering that kind of a response. But no, yeah, no it's, body no. horror, body horror. Yeah, it's, That's it's now where holes are <laughs> on people. That's where shoulder is supposed to be. It's skin and fat and muscle and bone and no holes and no bees. I feel strongly about this. Apparently I'm like yelling. Sorry about that. Noel. 
Uh, okay, let's let's move on from yelling <laughs> and creepy to heartbreaking and romantic, uh, and that is Supergirl Damage. This is our big uh, Sanvers breakup episode. Um, we need to talk about that. We also need to talk about Supercore because I have very strong feelings about Supercore as it surrounds this episode. So, which where, where do you want to go first? Uh, let's start with Sanders first, because um, um, I don't know that I've necessarily focused too much on Supercore this week, mm-hmm. which is weird for me to say. Yeah. But so I need like your response before I feedback. But let's both talk about Sanders. And um, yeah, I was uh, like we talked about last week. I think a lot of it boils down to the performances, which are just so good mm-hmm. in this and really uh, sold in like a lot of ways and like this 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 helps kind of make up for like falling from the apple from a poisonous tree sort of situation of like the motivations for this are poorly conceived but you've you've sold me on this as a breakup because everything about how this went down from this is over from packing up to sort of engaging in the playful goodbye to goodbye sex mm-hmm. um to actually being over um and then that like little pan down to both of the rings on the table by the door uh, tears exactly exactly it was just deeply deeply affecting and um i really appreciated like that entire subplot and i basically wanted that to be the entire episode of them navigating having conversations about this in in the apartment for like the entire 42 minutes of the show I, to the point where i was just like i don't really care that morgan edge is clearly poisoning children uh, <laughs> i'd much rather care about this um so that's how i was feeling about it i thought it made up for again for a lot of the r- general rushness of having to get this done within mm-hmm. the span of five episodes um but it was really really well done yeah how did you feel about it um, I think that I, I mean, I pretty much have the same thoughts that I did earlier in the season. I think that they, uh, for me, they stuck the landing and they did a, they had written themselves into a corner at the end of last season. It seems like they got very surprised by Floriana Lima's decision to leave the show. And then they did about as good as you could expect writing out of it. Um, And they trusted their actors to nail the performances, which they absolutely did. Now, I was try- I was looking for for reviews by uh, queer writers about this episode. I found a couple, and um, so I- I'm going to be looking for more. I know that there are some some fans who are still really really upset, who certainly haven't watched the season and aren't intending to come back to Supergirl because of because of um, the because of Lima leaving the show and because of Sanders having to get broken up. Um, and I understand and respect that from a representational standpoint and a mental health standpoint, just not putting yourself through that. I get it. Um, for me, this is how you do a mature breakup of a character of characters that it makes. There's like, it may, doesn't make sense for them to break up until you get to a thing that you right. can't get away from and you can't get around. And um, hopefully, you know, we'll get lots of great stuff for Alex moving forward. Um, I do think that this is, God, this is very tricky water to tread in as, again, as a straight girl um, who has no trouble in representation. There's lots of white girls on TV. Um, but uh, it seems 
and oh and also reach out listeners if i'm stepping you know too far or if i'm putting my foot in my mouth i want to hear about it please call me out um it seems like this is a very painful but also very mature and in some ways positive representation of a healthy breakup too and i think you know there's a place for that I don't know. It's it's not high on the list. We need more representation of functional together, happy couples that don't end yeah. in tragedy before we need representation of healthy, mature breakups of, you know, that don't turn one person into suddenly crazy or a villain or these other tropes. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, the show did about as good a job as you can ask them to do this season with where they had written themselves to last season. So I would say if I was going to point to something, I would point to rushing things last season rather than how the writing this season. And um, as several other people have said, as many have said, this just points to the larger need for representation. If, if Sanders wasn't one of the only functional positive representations of, of uh, queer couples on TV, we wouldn't be having this lengthy of a discussion. It would just be talking about, you know, that they did a good job or we, that I think they did a good job with the breakup. Um, But unfortunately that's not our television landscape. So um, they, we just need to keep getting better representation out there and more, more queer characters so that each couple isn't saddled with as much significance as unfortunately is the situation right now. Yeah. And I, I think that's an excellent point. And, um, that a show that made a big deal about Alex's coming out and wanting to reflect that situation and that experience. Um, and that did a very good job Mm -hmm. and was lauded for, um, a great deal, um, in last season, um, to sort of like not map this out. Well, Mm -hmm. um, speaks to how, and your point about like, the significance of that uh, speaks to how sort of not entirely aware it feels like that they weren't entirely aware of how really significant this was going to be, Mm -hmm. which is weird. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think it's more speaks personally for me, it more speaks to a lack of communication with their cast because I think they understandably assumed that Lima was going to be in. She'd be like, yeah, I get a bigger role. I get to be on the show for the next five years. (laughs) Kind of a, which is most of the time what actors do. Not always. Right. But but I feel like she had even said like she was only signed up for a year. Yeah. Well, and then that's a lack of communication with their, with their cast and with like, understand, like you were saying, understanding the significance of this. If you're going to go with this and you're going to go all in on this, you know, like marriage proposal and everything, you better make sure that cast is sticking around. Right. They needed to lock Lima in last year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Rather than waiting for the end of the season to come through and then do these sort of negotiations. Assuming they would have been able to keep her. Yeah. Correct. Um, So that's sort of where that falls is just like, it was just generally poorly planned um and given again representation issues that not planning it is thankfully at least again to me being high straight white guy mm-hmm. um doesn't feel sort of like as a bait or some something we're like no we 
we we were going to have to like make her recurring and we we told you we we were sorry but type of thing um but again like it again speaks to all this discussion of planning that we're saying um that they should have been doing well and that pivots us over because like yeah mal uh, uh was it? i said malcolm merlin um morgan edge cartoonishly <laughs> evil like you know malcolm merlin is very good yeah <laughs> um yes and in pastar is just chewing the right amount of scenery with it and it's super fun and that's yeah. yes okay fine but that pivots us into the other part of this episode as far as i'm concerned which is the super core part of this episode which if they are not end gaming kara and lena they need to fix that shit because this episode this is the lois and clark like this is the, this is the superman s- saves lois and they have their first kiss episode that's what this was mm-hmm. like the way they shot and wrote everything like from car there as emotional support for for lena as she's going through all of this stuff cementing their friendship and bond and understanding of each other tie then into like the dramatic save in the plane and everything like the 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 angles they were using the 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 scoring and everything it was a grand romantic gesture that was not like if you put if you put any like well if you make supergirl superman Mm -hmm. that then that's the i can't let you die i just love you so much situation or if you make that james or win or somebody else you don't have the emotionally fraught like the performance we get from uh melissa benoist there is not just i'm saving my friend this is i'm like like i would expect that level of emotion and passion for alex yeah so if that's not where they're going, they need to take a left turn and have this be their end game, or they need to do something else different because they're setting themselves up for a real, like, just like baiting the audience, like hardcore queer baiting. I don't know. I For me, I was like, because I, I enjoy super core. It's not like for me, it has, I like, I've been a, a bigger fan of Monel than many not that I actually am a fan, but like comparatively, but, yeah. and I even think by the end of last season, they earned that relationship. They had like, there were scenes that were really terrific with them. This is the first episode where I've felt like it's text. It's like there, yes, there's stuff that they could, maybe they're playing with the audience and being playful and fun and having fun with the shippers. But like, this is hardcore text for me. Um, I don't yeah. know how you could not see that if you're like a, one of the writers or something. Right, and even, like, uh, her confrontation with Edge towards the end of the episode, where it's just, like, it's very aggressive in the fact of, like, I'm about to do something that violates moral code of honor, maybe, possibly. Yeah. And I'm doing it for this. Mm -hmm. And, like, to your point about... You would expect this for Alex, uh, Wynn, for Jean, and... I don't know if I would expect that for Wynn. I don't think she would have gone and confronted Edge like that for anybody... But Alex, maybe Jean, maybe, mm-hmm. probably not, because she would just figure he doesn't need her to fight right. the battles, you know? Yeah. Uh, but not for James, not for Wynn. Right. Not for the other people, like, maybe her parents, but, like... Maybe. Yeah, maybe. But, like, that's more of, like, a don't take it out of my family. If you have a problem, yeah. take it out with me kind of a situation. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and to your point about a left turn, what do you feel like in terms of the fact that I feel like that they're trying to play up a potential romance between Lena and James? They are, and it's stupid. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's deeply stupid. Um, But I feel like that's what their their left turn is, but they're just steering into it very slowly. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think it's stupid. (laughs) I mean, I think the idea of them as colleagues who can... um, have different approaches and can bounce stuff off of each other is good. I think the idea of them as friends is good. They could build something yeah. there, but the idea, like, again, it comes down to chemistry and yes, Katie McGrath has chemistry with everyone, Yep, but, but she and Melissa Benoist sizzle yeah. when they want to, or when somebody, one of the two of them wants to, <laughs> yeah, depending when one on who flips it on for the scene, regardless. Yeah. And that's not there. With yeah. James. that That's not there. Well, it wasn't there with, with Cara and James either, which is why they backed away from that so quickly. Yeah. Um, so I think you just have to know what you have. And, and the idea of they can't think of anything else to do with James, so let's just make him a love interest again. That's right. Not- is he Guardian anymore? I yeah. Think it- is he? It, but they're not really doing having to do too much because Cara's been, like, going overboard. <laughs> His yeah, reaction right. to her, her loss of Monel. Like... They they don't know what to do with with him, and that's their response, and that's stupid. That's yeah. not a good enough answer. No, I agree. I was just curious what you thought about it because that's actually what I was keying in on in this in this particular subplot was more so the fact that they're clearly setting it up. This uh, they set it up a little bit a while back, but then this episode I thought was a little more aggressive about it. Um, well, and so. for me, like it was to the point where I saw people tweeting about that, and I was like, wait, what? And then yeah. then I. Then I thought back on it. I was like, oh, that's what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I never would have guessed that because they don't have the right chemistry. At least they're not doing that. They're like not choosing to like maybe the actors do because they're both very charismatic actors. But like, yeah, if they're going to pivot that, that's going to have to. They should do that soon. <laughs> yeah, they should do that soon. Um, well, you're, you're, you've made me want to go back and rewatch Damages, so I may do that tonight, um, mm-hmm. or Damage, rather. Um, <laughs> though I should really watch Damages at some point. I've never I've seen Damages. Yeah, yeah, I haven't either. Um, but... Maybe I'll get all the Rose Byrne love. I, I like Rose Byrne, don't get me wrong. I just don't love Rose Byrne like everybody else outside of Bridesmaids, so maybe I need to watch Damages. <laughs> ha, ha. But uh, yeah, I'll go back to damage and rewatch a little bit. Um, I think also in part I was just distracted by all the rain setup that they're just like mm-hmm. really doing, and I like how they really is, like keep circling. Um, I can't rem- remember the actual character's name, mm-hmm. um, but circling her in. But I was also really glad I was at the end. I was just like, oh, show you better not have Kara just hang out with the two of them while Alex is going through this <laughs> yeah. by herself. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> I yeah. would be very upset. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, and, and then having I thought that ending of we're going home was like lovely. just perfect yeah. Yeah. thing for her to say and the right move. And we'll see what happens next week. Uh, well, what wins your week in genre and drama? Um, I'm going to give it to, I think I'm going to give it to The Exorcist this week. Um, mm-hmm. just for Creep Factor and, oh God, John Cho's so good, Kate. He's so yeah. good. Um, yep. what about you? Well, I had to give a shout out to Lee Remini, Scientology and the Aftermath because they had, like, I keep, 
I was talking about the last two weeks because they had a really interesting episode and then a really powerful episode. And this week is the best one yet. Um, so uh, it was they had they brought back people from season one and had them talk about their experiences since doing the show. And they also had the mom of somebody who'd been on talk about uh, that she had left Scientology after seeing the show um, and understanding like through the show like that that being the final like the straw that broke the camel's back to get her to leave the church um and then talking about that and, and bringing the the mom and the daughter back together um it was really powerful so people check that out that probably wins but um but i'm gonna i'm gonna give it to supergirl because of the feels you know, of the the fictional feels. Listeners, let us know what you think about uh, Supergirl this week and the rest of the week's TV. And if there's other shows that we should be talking about that we aren't, let us know that too. We always do appreciate that. But let's wrap up our week in TV and go talk some Alias Grace, yes? Yes. Okay, so we'll listen to a little trailer and we'll be right back after this. That was the Netflix trailer for Alias Grace, which is a mini series that, that first aired in Canada earlier this this month and or this this fall, let's say September, September, yeah, back in September. OK, and um, it just dropped on, on Netflix last week. It is a novel by Margaret Atwood that has been adapted into a six episode miniseries and um, touches on themes of uh you know the interiority versus exteriority and uh a woman's uh you know identity and powerlessness versus power and 
interacting with the patriarchy and and all of that so so there obviously some 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 relevant themes with some of Atwood's other work, notably, of course, The Handmaid's Tale, which was adapted earlier this year and it came out earlier this year. Um, let's talk Alias Grace. Now, were you familiar, Noel, with this book? Because I had, I was not. I actually read it um, late this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was... And I... What ended up happening is I got this and The Blind Assassin and The Robber Brides um, after I saw a couple of folks um, wanting Atwood recommendations and during, like, right before, right during, while well, Handmaid's Tale was airing on Hulu. Mm-hmm. And so I picked all of those up and I read Alias Grace um, after I read Blind Assassin, which, by the way, is very good. Um, but the Alias Grace book is also very, very good. And so from, like, an adaptation standpoint, I was really happy with this. Mm-hmm. Um, I really appreciated what they had to minimize, which is a bunch of the stuff with Simon uh, Jordan, um, the psychiatrist's character, um, who's a much larger B-plot in the book, um, to provide those parallels that are necessary that we get here, but they go on much more in-depth in the book. And I was glad that those were minimized for the sake of getting everything into six parts um, because Grace's story is significantly more compelling um, <laughs> than what is going on with Jordan um, throughout the book. But no, so I, I really, I really enjoyed this as an adaptation of that book and they did a really nice job of weaving in, ah, weaving, ah, uh, ah, uh, how, how much the quilting and that kind of domestic stuff, which is central to like sort of the structure of the book in terms of the chap, the, the parts in the book being divided by the types of quilt, playing that into both the opening credits, but also in the fact that Grace is constantly sewing this quilt every time she's talking to Jordan in the in the adaptation. Mm-hmm. I think is really is a way to keep that really present, so that when it comes back at the very end, um, it doesn't feel out of left field. Um, so, as someone who hadn't read the book um, and you weren't familiar with this at all, I'm assuming. Yeah, no, I yeah. I, I, I had did, not heard of it. Yeah, how did you feel about this? Um, I thought it was fine. Um, I thought yeah. some of it was more compelling than other parts of it. And uh, it was it was uh, it was interesting to watch because I binged it and yeah. I would not have watched beyond the first episode or probably beyond the first episode, at least certainly not like in short succession if we weren't talking about yeah. it on the podcast because uh, it okay. felt very much like a oh, it's one of these um, beautifully made, excellent performances. But I'm not I can see the way this storyline is going to go. And then it went in that exact same way. <laughs> like, I wonder how life is going to be for the new immigrant who has no money and an abusive alcoholic father. And like, you know, like, uh, and, and I wonder if there's going to be a twist towards the end about what really happened. And are we really going to know? No, we're not. Cause you can't really ever know. And like, it, it's very paint by numbers in that way for me, but the performances are really good. And the style, it's very stylish, the direction and the editing, um, really elevates it for for me so with a couple exceptions i think that on the whole it works actually very well if you aren't hoping to be particularly compelled by what really happened because i don't think you're going to be super surprised (laughs) by what really happened um and and i guess we're kind of talking around that and we can give a spoiler warning when we're going to dive into that specifically but but yeah for me it started out as sort of like a very predictable kind of not predictable as in like not interesting but i mean 
you've seen this kind of story told in other forms before. Um, and then it pivoted sort of into a romance novel, which I thought was, was interesting. I wasn't expecting that, like the daydreams that we get of Jordan and um, these other things and the way, like the time that it takes with that, it really lingers in those moments. And that was then, then I was more interested, especially around our conversation we had a couple weeks ago about Outlander and romance um, storytelling on TV. And then it pivoted back um, so like for me that actually kind of the changing tone and genre approach, you know, was more interesting mm-hmm. than necessarily the, the whodunit and being that, that interested in, in grace herself. Um, does that make sense? It does. Yeah. 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 And I mean, you mentioned the direction, so we should mention this was directed by uh, Mary Horan who has directed like who's probably most high profile is like she directed American Psycho which is the Christian Bale Patrick Bateman uh, mm-hmm. movie but she also directed like I Shot Andy Warhol and Notorious Better Page both of which are very good and um, the she directed all six hours and then Sarah Polly who has worked on a number of things yeah um, as a director as yeah. a director writer actor um, uh, uh, did all the writing for this and so uh, it's really well crafted and I think your point is really well taken is that this is a very good looking very well put together well-produced miniseries even down to like costuming the way they sometimes linger on stuff but also just down to casting like all the way down i think is really impressive like paul gross's uh uh, kinnear is just really great because he's that exact right amount of like alluring sexiness plus that accent that he puts on for it i did not recognize him at all Right, and no, I love but I mean, and arrows. <laughs> right, and he's just—he's become a, such a total, total silver fox, Kate. Um, <laughs> but he's—it's such a perfect little. It's all the casting. I really feel like even like David Cronenberg as the Reverend mm-hmm. is just like really delightful little bits of casting that feel both delightfully Canadian, um, <laughs> but also just everyone really fits their role. I think really, really well. Um, and I think it really kind of ups a lot of the, a, lo- a lot of the series. So I suppose we should just kind of wade into like uh, spoilers a bit and also point out that this is actually based on an actual murder case that occurred yeah. in Canada. Um, and that uh, Atwood um, sort of spun out this sort of fictional yarn based on research that she had done and also regarding Grace Marx's role or not role in this murder of uh, Nancy Montgomery and Thomas Kinnear. Um, and so that was a like an actual thing that was spun out, but digs into this idea of your point about interiority and class and where they, what a woman's role can be in this, I think is really the significant part and is gets played up by um jordan's affair with his landlady Mm -hmm. um and her desperate attempts to keep him Mm -hmm. because she has no status without him um to be present um since her husband has fled but that's played again much larger in the book whereas this is more like a thematic footnote here which is good because it drags on way too long in the book (laughs) um so how did you feel about sort of this um the fact that they kind of go with a split personality um sort of resolution as it were spoiler alert well 
I said that. I said yeah. we're going to dive into yeah, things. You're right, you're yeah, you're right. You're right. You did. Um, yeah. Well, here, they they do, but I don't yeah. believe them. So mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so because okay. that's the thing is, be, based on the the performance from Zach Levi more than anything mm-hmm. else, um, I I don't know how you watch this and come away with the idea that she actually has a split personality versus that's what she wanted everybody to think because it was a convenient then it's something that she hatched up with jeremiah after he showed up um Mm -hmm. and that she was playing dumb this whole time oh i can't remember i can't remember and then it's like ah here's this convenient opportunity to do this and it just some of the just the little things in his performance are just so obvious for me uh as as like ah that's i need to put the shroud over so you can't see because when you can't see them they can see the truth that's that's why yes ah, ha, ha, ha. like it's just so <laughs> to 11 that mm-hmm. um that it feels very like i the idea that it's a legitimate split personality is really undermined by that um, yeah for me so so then it's then it everything you've then you can't trust anything you've been seeing because it's all from her point of view um and it's her retelling and so at a certain point when whenever I see stories that are told with this level of an unreliable narrator at the end you're left. And then even just ending with her looking direct at camera. um, It's like a dare to like, Oh, well what do you really think happened? I'm like, well, I don't know because you didn't tell me there was, there's no way for me to know. So I don't care (laughs) sort of where Mm -hmm. I'm, I, I leave it. But I do think then what that prompts for me with this and why I had a positive reaction to Elliot's Grace and why I enjoyed watching it was that then the, then it, instead of just, that's it. And the trick is the whole thing, the whole gotcha. And then, then it makes you think back on, on, um, (laughs) Christopher Plummer was Kaiser Sose, Kaiser Sose the whole time. Um, but, uh, <laughs> like, uh, the, the, with this, what it does is then it gets you to, okay, well, if if I'm accepting that that's the reality, then what does it say about her choices? And she's more interesting if this is all, because we've seen her be kind, but can you trust that any of that is is, is legit? If you want to say that maybe it is, then you're left with the question of, why did she do what she did? Because she doesn't give a reason for what she did in her own story, you know, in her own flashbacks. Um, and is, it, is there some level of justification that can, you know, be gleaned or, or that you couldn't infer, or is she just straight up like not interesting? Want kill people for their money. You know, like what? Cause, cause I think even the, the put on of the, the, the alternate, personality is really extreme because that fits the show that fits like the show she's putting on for everybody else so that's not necessarily accurate either so that's too extreme so she's probably somewhere in the middle and then so like that's what the this show leaves me thinking about is that um whereas i'm not impressed with the i think i think they want you to be like oh my god guys it's a split personality (gasps) she's mary and like all the stuff but that doesn't work for me because of the way that they pitch that hypnotism scene right and i i think you're correct in that uh levi leans in a little too hard on that Mm -hmm. um that he plays it as a charade and sarah godon who plays grace um i think goes a lot 
more like decidedly creepy and really sort of embraces the concept that this is a legitimate thing that's happening with grace and really it yeah i do i think that she huh. plays it in a way that makes that this is legitimately like for Gadon, i think that this is what she sees as the truth for grace and levi sees it as a put-on and i think that those two things end up kind of being in conflict so i take your point especially with levi's performance in that sequence is like very sort of winky um but I think that also I think one of the things that leads me to this in part to Gadon's performance is also the fact that I feel like that nature performance feeds into the entirety of Grace's life being performance. Mm -hmm. And I think that even if you're not necessarily buying it as a legitimate, legitimate, um, like split personality, which is fine. Um, and I, I can totally buy that as well. But so much of what Grace's life is, is performance based of like telling you what you want to hear, um, thinking about what I'm going to tell you and the idea of being a good daughter, of being a friend to this uh, revolutionary woman, um, of being this um, friend slash uh, servant slash potential lover for at the Kinnear household, whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, I think just speaks to the fact that Grace is always performing a role, regardless of what's happening, even to the point where she has to assume the role of a dutiful wife, mm-hmm. dutiful, forgiving wife, no less, because she has no other options. And that's, I think, where it comes from is like it's very much all driven by the fact that Jordan doesn't ask the right questions because he doesn't understand that Grace is constantly in a position in which she has no power. So she has to act to whomever she is with in the way that their power dynamic makes sense. Yeah. That's so that's interesting to me though. Cause for me, the fact that there is such like a creepy take on the voice in the, in the, oh, God, it's so good. Yeah. But that to <laughs> me makes it feel fake. Okay. If it was like a more like, bland voice mm-hmm. like even if the accent changed but it was just like more bland yeah i would buy it more okay so that's so it's too heightened it's too theatrical well yeah because it feels like a like an acting choice yeah as opposed to like like because if she was changing her accent when she was interacting with these other people like when she was interacting with the the her conspirator if 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 like every time they made out, she all of a sudden didn't talk with an Irish accent. I feel like that would have come up previously, you know. And if like half the time when she's interacting with these different people, anytime that she has any lost time, her accent and her voice changed. If again, I feel like that would have yeah. come up. Um, yeah. So it, yeah, it's but it, that's beyond the point. That's beside the point. Um, I do absolutely agree with what you're saying there. And, and the, you have a more, you have a different take on that ending than I do. Cause for me, that is absolutely Jamie's kink. <laughs> that is. And in like, so she, it's not like she's going through this thing of having to forgive him every time, but she gets it. That's what he's into. And right. so that's what she's giving him what he wants. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and she's like, this is my, this is what, um, like there are worse things in a partner and I've seen them <laughs> throughout yeah. my life. I can deal with some, uh, some, you know, uh, shame play, I guess. 
but yeah, that's I thought that was interesting the way it tiptoed up to that. And so like setting mm-hmm. that in the bedroom, like while yeah. they're undressing and stuff too, I thought was interesting. That's the kind of that I was surprised by that. I was like, ooh, that's a more interesting ending than I would have anticipated. <laughs> Why do you think we end with um and, and and certainly we see with these different figures in her life the different people they want Grace to be. Mm-hmm. Why do you think we end with Jordan catatonic from the war? That's a really good question and one that I hadn't necessarily um, figured out necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it, I, I, yeah, I don't have an answer to that because so much of it is about him by going to war and by like leaving his, and this is something where the drop of the subplots sort of hampers it a little bit because mm-hmm. so much of his subplot in the book deals with his mother trying to marry him off mm-hmm. um, to other women and him constantly resisting it and being like, I am far too busy setting up my new practice, which mm-hmm. is another thing that's happening in the background of the novel uh, is that um it's he re, he runs to this like hyper hyper masculine sort of thing of fighting in a war mm-hmm. that he's gracious for as an escape and but there's no I can't reconcile what that means that he ends up in a semi catatonic state that yeah. what that means exactly and if it's like punishment for something or just like a comeuppance but it doesn't it doesn't quite make sense so i don't have like a way to thread that needle do you no i have no idea what that means i'm sure it's margaret atwood i'm sure it means something yeah but i don't know what it means and and ending with grace was i thought interesting i don't know why Again, reaching out to the unknowable because you're, again, so working to define her as what he wants her to be rather than what she is and, um, you know, many other things. But that's an interesting choice as well. The other thing I will say I I was very curious about is how does she possibly have that fabric for her quilt? Yeah, no, that's a fair question. Like, if Um, she got those colors to represent those, those things, then, like, absolutely. Like red four, pink four, but she said pink from. Yeah, no, she said it was directly from the dress, so it's possible that they just kept it the entire time, which doesn't, doesn't seem make super any likely. Sense. But yeah, so that she just had it the entire time. Like, um, it would be like if it was evidence, and then they yeah. let her cut out a swatch. I mean, yeah. unless she was like squirreling away swatches of fabric on her person, which doesn't make any sense given the yeah. asylum. Like it's. Yeah. it's so so there were a couple things like that at the end that I was like, huh, I get what you're going for thematically with the quilt and yeah. and these different types of women and and who she's been and who she's uh, like the what she's respected versus not from these different people and all of that. But don't ask me to think that she actually still has the red petticoat because petticoat, that yeah. doesn't make any sense. She would have had that taken from her. Yeah. No way she'd get that back. Um, so, yeah, I was curious about that, too. Um, any other performances that you wanted to mention? Uh, no, like I hit on Paul Gross, um, mm-hmm. who I think kind of walks away with it during his episodes. But uh, Sarah Gaddams is really, really great. Mm-hmm. Um, Anna Paquin, I think, is really good as Nancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like kind of pitch perfect as a Nancy. It's um, not, not very uh, like 
it's a thankless role, I think. It's a very thankless role, yeah. Nancy is not a thankful. It's not a, <laughs> it's not a role you want to play, but she does yeah. it really, really well. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. Um, yeah, I, this, I, I'm in a kind of tricky place with this one because I respect it. And I think yeah. there's interesting things about it. I think that you only really get that, at least I only really got that from having seen it. So it, yeah. as, it's more like I'm glad to have seen it. Mm-hmm. Rather than I recommend people seeing it. Yeah, that makes and sense. I think I'd be really picky about who I recommended this to. Yeah. Um, but is, I think if you especially read the book, I don't think you should be hesitant to mm-hmm. read listeners. If you've read Alias Grace, you shouldn't be hesitant to uh, seek this out. Um, but if you're kind of on the fence, I'd sample it. But if you're not in by like the second episode, I think is probably a good, a, a fair point to like, drift away yeah because by then you've you've done a third of the series at that point (laughs) well i think it's actually a really good adaptation of a book it felt it felt very literary watching it and what i probably enjoyed the most was actually the text like some of those lines were just like beautiful like the, the 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 and i'm sure those were some of the passages that were taken directly from the book so i kind of i feel like read the book yeah <laughs> you know yeah like the you should definitely read the book yeah around it's very good identity and performance and you know performance as the only like de- as defense survival. The only, yeah. yeah survival the only survival she has um and you know what what it means that she gets a happy ending well ish comparative maybe but i mean yeah. come on on yeah. the scale of things, that's a happy ending. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is is that's all very interesting, but I don't think there's other than you know, like we said, the performances. I don't think there's a specific things you will get out of this that you won't get out of it more powerfully from a book, <laughs> which is such a weird. Like it sounds horrible, but I would say like it's a very backhanded compliment. I feel like yeah. you're paying this. It's like <laughs> Alias Grace. It was good. I will you know remember it well. It probably won't be in my top 20 at the end of the year, yeah. but like it, it doesn't feel essential to me, but I think it's very interesting. And it, like, I want to recommend this to book clubs, you know, like watch it and sit around and talk about what it means yeah. more than just the enjoyment of actually watching it yourself is mm-hmm. where I'm at. Okay. We need to end the segment before I just yeah. walk, talk in circles more. Um, are you so you're excited? The next one that we have coming adaptation for uh, Atwood is the the blind. What was it? Assassin. The blind assassin. I think that is the next one, right? I, I've heard rumbles that it was being adapted, but I couldn't quite remember if that was happening or not. But yeah, it's another kind of split narrative um, mm-hmm. that I really enjoyed. I'm certainly glad that we this is a one and done, unlike yeah. Handmaid's Tale. So we'll see what happens with the next Atwood adaptation on the way. But a few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there or uh, find us on iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and MP3 unchaptered feed. And we're also up in Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings or reviews either place. They do help people find the show. And of course, we're both on Twitter. I am at theteleverse and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. And thank you as ever, Noel. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.